Hi guys, welcome along to this special edition of On The Whistle. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi, and today, boy oh boy, it's like Christmas has finally come. We get to preview the 2021 edition of the African Cup of Nations, being hosted in 2022 in Cameroon. I've got a star-studded lineup, possibly even stronger than Senegal. Um, we have our man on the ground, in Cameroon, in Yaoundé right now, Francis Nkwayin, an African football expert, a Cameroon fan, and a media executive who wines and dines with the finest on the continent and in the world. We also have Courtney Fries, our former PSL winner, African Champions League player in Grey's Essex. Welcome, Courtney. Good to have you with us. We have the editor of Kingfoot.com, our Egyptian pharaoh, our king of Cairo, our expert on all things North African football, Ahmed Youssef, and not forgetting Alistair Howarth, our new addition to the team, our associate producer, and who, like Courtney and me, we don't have a dog in the fight at the African Cup of Nations because South Africa is staying home, and so are Kenya. But welcome, guys. We're here to look forward to the competition that kicks, kicks off on January 9th, culminates with the final on February 6th, it's 24 of Africa's elitist teams battling it out for the best prize on the continent. I can't wait to get stuck into this, but it feels very natural for us to start in Yaoundé, Cameroon, where Francis, you're in a car. Tell us about that. Hey Zane, it's very good to be with you all again. It's been quite a while. Um, yes, currently in Yaoundé, um, quite a bit of traffic. We're gonna put it down to the end of the year last minute shoppings and all that kind of stuff. But the traffic is a little bit horrendous. But today I actually went to go visit uh, Olembe, uh, the new stadium here in Yaoundé that has been at the heart of a controversy, whether it be ready and fit for purpose come the 9th. Um, and I just wanted to go see for myself. And I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised by just how delicious and scrumptious and prepared it is. We're all getting a little bit excited over here about the game. So looking forward to the conversation around the bride today. Brilliant. And, and Francis, you've teed this up perfectly. I know the build-up to the AFCON, it's the first major football competition we are hosting during the pandemic. Um, there have been questions around COVID. There have been questions around readiness. Um, CAF President Patrice Mutsepe and the newly elected Samuel Eto at uh, Cameroon have been at pains to assure people that the competition will go ahead. It will run smoothly and all precautions um, will, be, will be taken to ensure that this happens in a safe and secure environment. From your impressions on the grounds and your reading of it, how ready is Cameroon to host? Well, I think Cameroon would be as ready as ready can be, I honestly believe. Um, at the heart of most tournaments, it's whether the people have bought into the idea of serving as a host because I don't think a tournament is necessarily just on the playing surface. It's whether the host nation has its people sufficiently excited about the guests that will be coming into their nation. And I think if that box needs to be ticked, it can be ticked. In terms of the infrastructure, we have better infrastructure in Cameroon than we ever have had. I have attended at least seven different African Cups of Nations. Um, with the exception of nations like Egypt, 
uh, and South Africa to a certain extent. I think the challenges we have across Africa for hosting a multitude of teams and nations and guests and fans, um, they're commonplace. And sometimes I felt like the conversation around what would qualify as, as Cameroon being prepared, where the bar was set, I felt was artificially high given the number of participants had actually been arbitrarily increased from 16 to 24. Um, but I think the things that needed to be done have been done. Um, the country is could be better prepared if you gave them another 10 years anyway, but I think they're as prepared as they can be for 2021. There is actually 2022, given it's, uh, it's a weird one. We are celebrating the AFCON 2021 in 2022, but COVID has changed a lot of things. But I think the country is ready. I think the infrastructure is in place. I think the people are ready. But most importantly, there's a desire and a will to have the tournament take place. And I think if we look back at some of the conversations we've had or the criticisms or the accusations levied towards whether the tournament should take place, I think nobody better than uh, Ian Wright yesterday um, said it as best as it could be said, um, which is it's rather unfair, some of the media reporting that has gone in, because it's questioning whether people should celebrate when, at a point in time when COVID was at its peak, for example, in Europe, we were still able to have the Euros in 10 different countries. So um, I think we have the potential to use this to allow people to also take off some of the pressures that we have felt for the last two years. Uh, some of the pressures that we have to remind ourselves of our communal humanity, our shared humanity, to remember the important sports plays in society beyond the competition in and of itself. And I think if we could connect with this essence, then we could make sure that this AFCON, like President Motsepe said, stands out as the best to date, not necessarily just because of the football, but because of what it represents. So when a person like Mr. Vieira says, hey, I can't stop a player from going, we must respect this. They're speaking to the spirit of what it represents beyond the game. And I think if we tap into that, then we understand what this is. So these are my thoughts at present. I think um, to, to kind of add to, to what you've said, it, it's, it's clear that there is some sort of you know disrespect to this tournament. Um, and some of the players are now Thankfully, started speaking about it. You know, Sebastian had a Vyak who was kind of asked a question about whether he wanted to go or not, and all these type of, um, and, and even you know, with with Salah and Mane and Liverpool and questions around whether they were going. This is not something you would have in any other tournament where um, you looked at even how um, I look back during the peak COVID back in November, you know, a couple of months ago, when some of these South American countries were on the red list, and some of the clubs said, you know. They didn't want the players to go, but the players at, went, and there was no question about them going. Um, and it seems that that was very fair. But this isn't, you know, some of the media have now positioned some of the players going back to, for the Afcon um, as something, you know, a bit risky and, and dangerous when it when it's been done uh, in, with other in, with other countries and other continents. So um, I'm kind of glad that this is going ahead. And um, and as I said, hopefully, um, you know, with, again with, with 2014, there's a, there's a lot more opportunity to, to kind of. Um, bring Africa together with a lot more countries. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I wanted to come in on that and just talk about how 
yeah the, the disrespect that's come onto the tournament from yeah from that very eurocentric media that you know we have in football because a lot of the kind of finance around football is focused in europe but you know there, there's also a sense that you know for the most part africa has actually dealt better with with the pandemic than european countries have but and yet last summer uefa went ahead with a not just any euro tournament but the most ambitious in terms of traveling you know hosted across what you know eight ten cities um and and as well as that is one of the reasons why the AFCON has been pushed back, you know, because the AFCON was initially meant to be happening in that slot. But when the Euros got moved to it, there's no way that, you know, the AFCON would be able to compete with that. And so I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, alongside Cameron's preparedness, but that was one of the reasons why it's been pushed back. So then kind of for clubs, for media, for people to turn around and say, oh, why is it happening in January? You know, and this is really bad for football and, and putting a lot of pressure on the players not to commit to their country. I think it's really you know, rich, um, you know, and really just, you know, embarrassing um, from from the kind of the press here in the UK and across Europe. Um, I think also on, on, on that, like, pre, you know, historically, the AFCON has always been in January. And I think it's been the best time. I don't think when, when the AFCON was in was in the last time in 2019 in the summer in Egypt, when I was there, it was not pleasant. It's not a pleasant time to be playing football when the temperatures are nearly 40 degrees during the day. And and I know that there's the other climates across Africa in the summer, there's you know, heavy rains and, and, you know, it's not the, the best time to be playing it. So in, 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 the, in the first instance, the AFCON got moved because of the pressure from, from, from UEFA and, and you know, to have these European players not go away um, during the winter. Um, and, you know, I think the, the next tournament, Ivory Coast, is planned again for summer. But I, I wonder whether, um, you know, you know, is that going to be a good thing Nick, in, in Ivory Coast in 2023 where we're playing in, in considerable heat and, and, and rain? I'd just like to, um, obviously we, we all share the same pattern of thought in regards to the lack of respect uh, that's been shown. So um, I just think that sometimes the English media just need to be ignored because they drive this agenda of this is the best league in the world, which it is. We don't disagree with that. The Premier League, you know, is a is a money-making juggernaut that it's going to be years before it stops. Uh, and their, their perspective on our tournament, we don't need. Don't need it at all. If it's not respectful, I just feel this, let's not even give it the ears it deserves because um, how much positive positivity do the English media actually give out? Even about the own teams within this country, how negative can they be? So uh, the tournament, I'm happy it's going ahead. I think, um, Alistair, you touched on a very good point there. The cases were much lower and are much lower in Cameroon now than they were across Europe when the Euros were held. Um, I can't see a reason for it. And I just think that if you listen to certain people and um, like Sebastian Haller, he, his point of why even ask me that? Who was asking the European players were they going to the Euros? You know, so uh, good on everybody for taking the stance and, and letting the tournament go ahead. Uh, and if the tournament doesn't go ahead, the players should just go on a two week holiday. They need the break. Klopp is always fighting the, the players need a rest. Let them go have a break then. You know, let the English teams continue playing as well as they want to uh, without our stars. Uh, because if you look through the Premier League, there is a catalogue of stars out there. Um, their absence that will affect the Premier League tremendously. So, um, yeah, but I just Courtney, think... I, I have to come in here and just say, out of all of us on this panel, you're a former player. You've played for your country um, at youth level. Um, 
if you were Emmanuel Dennis at Watford and you had Claudia Ranieri not wanting to release you because Nigeria apparently missed a deadline to submit their team, what, how would that make you feel if you were, you were playing for that manager and this was his perspective? It's a difficult question you're asking, Zane, because there are different levels of players, right? There are players that, let's say they are, uh, they are on the peripherals of the first team. Claudio Ranieri wouldn't actually bother if he goes. Okay, you can go, go and enjoy it and play. But if you are a key member of the team, of which the team is basically built around you, like Ndidi, like Partey, like Mane, like Salah, it becomes a whole new different question that you're asking me. Uh, so I'll answer it in different phases. The Watford player, I don't think, uh, I, I would feel distraught, but the manager won't mind losing if you look at the, the Arsenal guys, the, the Leicester City guys, look at Leicester City. The team at the moment is basically cut short with players. They need everybody, especially defenders, especially the versatility that Wilfred and Didi provides. It becomes a whole new different argument. So the manager would be desperate to want to keep him. He'd be saying everything to him. But I just feel Ndidi would, would have to stand his ground and say, no, I'm going. I have to go. You know, I cannot betray. Words like betrayal start coming through. My teammates are there. I need to be there. They are family members of us. Like my Leicester team or our family, they are family to me as well. I've got to honor the team and represent the country. And Francis, as we sort of tie a bow on this subject, I know that you've often uh, brought this up in conversation with me and even told the story on our podcast, but you've had to set sit in meetings with players to talk to coaches about allowing them to compete in your role as a representative and an agent. Um, what have those experiences been like with some of the top teams in the UK and, and, and Europe? What's interesting at this point in time is really more the conversation around duty uh, and money. Uh, we, we live in a, I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to even call it the post-capitalist era where we've accepted certain things as modus operandi. So because you're paid, albeit handsomely, by a club to whom you owe service, but they also know that this tournament is coming up before you sign. For example, what happened in Italy uh, with Napoli, uh, Last week, I don't know if it even registered in the UK, and I was going to say to Courtney that it's not just a UK thing. It's across the Euro, this Eurocentric uh, powerhouse that is football at, at present. And it's a power play where individuals are being asked to have to make a choice between your bread and butter and, and a sense of duty and honor that anybody would have to be called upon to serve their nation which they would take if the offer was made to them as individuals. And here I'm saying, even if the president or chairman or managing director of a club wasn't a player, but they were invited in the UK, for example, to tea with the queen, queen it would be considered an honor and a privilege and would change their programs to accommodate that day. And their business would not ask them the question of why it is they're taking time off to go do that. This is not dissimilar. You're asking, you're giving people the honor or people are being given the honor to represent their nations and the individual instead is put in a position where they're made to feel guilty because they have to choose between 
the person paying their monthly wages and being told that they would be betraying that contract, even though at the time when the contract was made, very often there is a reward for international call-ups. So a young player making their national team, for example, would be rewarded for it because all of a sudden this team is demonstrating that it has international talent. So the young man may be 18, 19 years old, maybe hasn't yet been called up. And all of a sudden, maybe there's a, a desire if the player was being called up for France, for Italy or Germany or Spain, it's celebrated. And then they get called up for Togo or South Africa or Egypt or Tunisia. And all of a sudden, it's an inconvenience. At some point in time, you must understand that the love of father or motherland is the same in the spirit of every human being. And it's that human quality that I feel has always been lacking at the top end of football, where there has always been a disregard for the African, where he is always expected to choose money over nation. And it's assumed that it's supposed to be a logical decision, especially by fans. And so the fans will then join a brigade where they would say they're betrayed by a player who's gone off. And then the club uses that argument to the player, making the play. We go back to a time where I remember a boy at, um, no, not even a boy, uh, Lauren, a time in my, uh, I remember at Arsenal, uh, being made to choose between playing for Cameroon or playing for Arsenal because the feeling was going to be like, if you leave the team and the team really needs you, um, then you're not part of the family. But that's the same feeling that the nation feels. Some of these nations are 20 million, 40 million. In the case of Egypt, 80, 90 million deep. In the case of Nigeria, 200 million deep. So you're also betraying another family. And so when you're asking a young man like Dennis at Watford to make a choice, and if the argument is about how relevant you are to your squad, it's not fair, you know? And I don't think we have had the opportunity before to fully understand as we are beginning to this time, where we see people are in, right? And I highlight somebody like him because these voices have been needed for many years. And there's been a lot of silence around the subject because the players themselves could not speak because they'd just be making a case for themselves. And so sometimes it's nice when somebody who has the foot in the other shoe is the one speaking in your stead and saying this isn't fair on a human level. And that's the only point I think we need to be focusing on. Gentlemen, thank you for that spirited discussion. Thank you for just giving all sides of that and all angles, and I appreciate that. And um, I think now we can move our conversation to the runners and riders as we start to talk about what's going to happen on field at this AFCON, this celebration of football. Um, before we give our picks of who we think could do well, will Mohamed Salah lead Egypt? Will it be that Senegal powerhouse Will Mares and Algeria shine again? Or is there somebody else? Are the Nigerians primed to explode? Um, Alistair, I know you have been putting together a lot of previews. Your goal on, on the whistle was to speak to 24 different newsmakers in the build-up to the AFCON to try show all the perspectives from all the countries that have qualified. I think you're almost there. We're going to release that as the AFCON starts. So we're incredibly excited. Look out for all that content that'll come out. We'll promote it from our social media accounts, OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. 
and we'll stick it on Facebook and YouTube. And that's the On The Whistle podcast account. So do tune in. But Alistair, before we talk about our picks, tell us about some of the Cinderella stories, the ugly ducklings who've come to the ball, who um, have the interesting stories and for them to be there. I was an ugly duckling. So that's why Francis is laughing. Um, but tell us about those teams that not a lot of people would have known about who've qualified. Um, I know you've been doing your research and we have some pretty inspiring stories, one of which as a country I would love to go on holiday in because it's sunny and warm pretty much all year round. Yeah, I mean, it's very sad for us to talk about uh, the AFCOM because as Kenyan and South African fans, you know, we're not there and, and some other big countries like the DRC and Zambia have missed out, but that's allowed some of these real minnows to, to kind of qualify. Um, you know, you have, you know, the, the two the two new boys, Gambia and Comoros, making their debut, you know, other very small nations like Cape Verde, Guinea-Bissau, Mauritania, you know, who, you know, in, their, in Mauritania's case, you know, just over a decade ago, were ranked 206th in the world and are now all the way up to 103rd in FIFA rankings, you know, some incredible stories. But I really wanted to touch on on the Comoros um, and, and the Gambia. I mean, the Comoros is, you know, tiny island nation. Um, and and have real no football pedigree whatsoever. I think they they only came into playing FIFA recognized matches in 2005. Um, but they they've had this long term project of of building a squad. Um, and I think we talked about it on an earlier podcast. Francis talking about uh, I mean Abdu, the ma the manager of the Comores, who's been there since 2014. Um, and and he's been a real part of pushing for this this uh, bringing in the diaspora to play for the Comores. And so for the last kind of six or seven years, they've been building this team. If you look at the Comores team, their top ten most capped players are all going to the Afcon. Um, so it's it's all been this one team building. Um, and you know they've they played some really really good football. You know I watched their games against Kenya and qualifying and and you know played sadly played us off the park. Um, but you know particularly looking at a couple of their players who. You know, you have Yusuf Changama, who's in the midfield, he plays in France, um, has, you know, been their creative a maestro. And then Alfaru Ben Nabuhane, who's who's playing for Red Star um, in Serbia and is the all-time, you know, foreign base, or foreign top goal scorer in the Serbian league. Um, and those two have been kind of integral to that. Um, and the other one I wanted to talk about was, was the Gambia. Obviously, you know, the smallest... Uh, country on on the mainland uh, on the continent and a tiny nation um, but similar to Comoros building a project for a number of years they you know they brought in uh, Tom St. Fiet who's managed a number of, of, of clubs and nations around Africa um, and and they he's worked really closely with the FA to kind of bring through this incredible <clears throat> youth setup that's in in Gambia um, you know earlier this year they they won or they came third in the under 20s Africa Cup of Nations um, and they've got a really, really exciting crop of young players. Um, they've built those kind of links uh, with European clubs. You know, you have a lot of guys placed, based in Italy now, you know, Musa Barrow, Ebri Macaulay is at Spezia, Ebri Madarbo is the, you know, the young guy working with uh, Jose Mourinho at Roma, Omar Kali at Sampdoria. Um, and, and they brought through some other players like Asan Sise, who's now at Zurich and is the top goal scorer in the Swiss league. Um, but I think it's, you know, really important to look at these teams who are really, really small you know, coming from, you know, in, in footballing terms, nothing, but they built together, a, you know, a process, um, which a lot of these big teams that failed to qualify didn't. Um, and, you know, they've, they've earned their place at the AFCON um, and, and, you know, I'm really excited to see, see how they do. Also, for those of you listening out there on the whistle, we'll aim to give you content every single day of uh, the African Cup of Nations. Alistair Howarth will be doing our daily digest 
which will give you a review of the night before, preview what's coming up, tell you about some of the quirky stories and look to bring you newsmakers and also all the analysis. It's a gargantual task. It's a, it's a meal that some say um, people cannot finish. It's like eating a kg and a half of steak, chips, salad, and having to down a liter of Coke. But Alistair's a hungry student, so I think um, he, he, will, he will certainly be up for it. Um, we've spoken about the Cinderella stories, but I think it would be great now to find out about who we think would be our picks for the tournament. Francis, perhaps an apt time to come to you. How are the hosts shaping up? Oh, host nation uh, becoming a little bit predictable. Uh, they have a very settled squad, I have to say. And I think the most remarkable thing about Cameroon's squad is um, the absence of internal interpersonal issues, which has characterized Cameroon's squad for many years pre-tournaments. This time there's a great harmony. Uh, there's a sense of family. I think they have six or seven players who were involved in the squad that won the 2017 AFCON. So there's a sense of continuity and progression at the same time. We also have a new phenomenal big boss at the head of the Federation in Mr. Samoletto. There's a sense of positivity and energy, but I think um, beyond the fact that their hosts and their decent team, there isn't really the expectation that we're gonna win. Um, I think people are just more interested in us putting on a decent show, making it to the latter stages, and then you see what happens. But right now, the average fans uh, concerned about the tournament is our ability to actually host and our ability to have everybody on ground, have a decent tournament, kickoff but eyes are really on countries like Senegal as you mentioned and Algeria uh, in particular uh, who I think are truly major contenders we we cannot look beyond a set of, of teams uh, but we'll see um, I gotta vouch for my well, no vouch I gotta stick my my head out and say my country to win but um Let's see. Let's go past the first round. Ahmed, I got to imagine you'll be hoping a certain nation also goes past the first round. Run your rule through the Egyptian team and maybe talk to some of the North African sides. Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, coming out of the group stages might be an achievement for Egypt. Um, but joking aside, I think obviously you, we have Mo Salah, who, uh, you know, at the moment, one of the best players in the world. But if you were to take Mo Salah out of this team, Egypt wouldn't have qualified for this tournament. The kind of the rest of the squad is probably one of the weakest um, we've had in 20, 30 years. And um, I think in 2019, we were a, we were a host nation. Um, there was some high expectation, but the results kind of showed itself really, and, and we really struggled um, in the tournament. Um, kind of this this year, we've kind of the squad actually has just um, been announced. It was a, there was a pre preliminary forty man squad, and now uh, the twenty three man squad was announced last night. Um, with kind of the, the biggest um, shock was the fact that um, Mohamed Afsha, who's the Al Ahly playmaker, was not included in the squad um, at all, and instead Abdullah Said, who's thirty six years old, who um, kind of 
is, isn't really at that highly level playing anymore, place with pyramids, but he's just not there anymore. Um, and he's been included in the squad instead of him. And there's been some talk about it because of um, Al-Ahli's, you know, who, who have to play in the um, FIFA World Club Cup, which is at the same time. Um, they might That might have been a reason why Afsha wasn't included in the squad, um, but it has kind of sent a bit of disappointment, um, uh, you know, for all of the fans. And um, it's kind of, you know, Egypt struggles in that position of, of a, that playmaker. Um, and so it's disappointing to see that he wasn't included. Having said that, you know, the, the Egypt squad still has the same players you might expect, like El Neni and uh, El Shanawi in goal, who's kind of been terrific um, over the last number of years and was kind of the star, probably the star player in all the last tournaments, our goalkeeper. Um, one of the, the players to look out for in the Egypt squad is Akram Taufit, the right back, who's um, who had an ex- excellent tournament at the Arab Cup and um, can be really excelled there. And I think he's now solidified himself as that starting right back. Um, and he's actually kicked out, you know, the likes of Ahmed Fatih, who was, you know, the, the Egypt captain of old um, in that position. Um, and one of the in, in attack, you know, alongside Salah, Egypt is, is kind of gifted. Um, there's a lot of attacking talent. Um, so we've got. Um, Omar Marouk, who's uh, for, on loan at, um, at Stuttgart from Wolfsburg in, in the Bundesliga, and he's been playing excellently. He's a new young Egyptian striker, and I'm really excited for, you know, to see him play alongside Salah. Um, I think that something really good can come out of that. But expectations for Egypt in this tournament aren't huge, you know, huge. And I think reaching the semi-final would would be something uh, of an, an overachievement for us this year. My my team for the tournament that I'm looking at at the moment, I, I can't look past Senegal. I, um, I'm struggling to look at a team that has the strength of spine um, like Senegal at the moment. And I'm talking, um, first, you've got an outstanding goalkeeper in Edouard Mendy, uh, who's at Chelsea. Yes, he's, he's not at his peak at the moment, but this tournament may just come around at the right time for him to recapture uh, the early season form that he showed. And then in front of him, he's got the experienced Napoli defender of Koulibaly, who I just think is um, an unbelievable player um, and just a, a mountain of a defender, almost a, a Van Dyke in the Italian league um, and also can mix it aggressively as well. So I think defensively, and adding to that is Koyate at from, from Crystal Palace, who plays along, who can play in midfield, but also can play in defense. So defensively, you've got a, a good unit in Senegal. So if you look at it from a manager's point of view, we should be leaking very few goals with the team we currently have. But then going forward, there's just the sprinkling of youth as well as determination and goal-scoring prowess when you have uh, Ishmael Saar at Watford, who I think is an excellent player absolute world-class player. Um, and I say this with all due respect to, to Watford. Um, if they stay up or go down, this guy will move on. He's that good. Uh, and big clubs have been trying to chase him for a long time. And then on the key man for them, attacking-wise as well, is just Sadio Mane. Uh, he hasn't scored for nine games for Liverpool. Another player that the tournament may just be coming around at the right time for um, being at home, being around the people he loves and then just going on and putting on a great tournament. Senegal have got all the ingredients to go very, very far uh, because they're so strong defensively. There's also a pedigree of, listen, they've been to this tournament before. Um, I'm just looking at some of their stats as well. Just give me a second. 16 times at the tournament, runners up in 2019 as well. This is not a team to take lightly. 
you know, I, I mean, for... many Senegal have been um, also runs for many a decade, and there are two lions that fight in this business, and those Taranga boys, they can't come and win this on the indomitable lions terrain. I think we won't even let it happen. <laughs> Oh, wouldn't that be beautiful now? Oh, 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 Mane. I'm saying Mane. Uh, Francis, are you saying to me there is a Eastwood Woodlands, uh, Peter Marisberg, Durban type of rivalry between these two teams? And you don't know about it? I, I didn't think it was that big, uh, Francis. I didn't think it was that big because they, they two juggernauts. I mm -hmm. thought it was Cameroon and maybe Nigeria that had the, 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 the first mm -hmm. cuffs out. No, we've always had this running battle about which of the lions, which of the two lions actually run the jungle. Well, even though there are no lions in the jungle, but <laughs> we we have a running battle. More, it's it's one of mutual respect in all honesty. But in the last year, we'll forever be having a go at uh, Rigobert's song when they played, and it continues till today. The lions of the Taranga and the Indomitable Lions. Uh, we, as much as we love them, it will really hurt us for them to win it on our turf. <laughs> so, because uh, they won't let us sleep about it. So, but it's fascinating. On, on, the, 8th of, on the 8th of January, we're doing a dinner with a bunch of the, the former greats. And it's a major topic in our little WhatsApp group already about uh, if we're going to be allowing uh, the, the Senegalese team that is probably one of the best since the last great World Cup bound team where they feel like they have the right people in all the right positions and they have the belief and all they need to do is go one step further than the last time, which was the finals. Um, and so they generally believe they can and we'd love them to in all honesty, but it's just a bit of banter where we would much rather they did it in Nigeria. Zane, I hope you don't mind me. I know uh, Alice is just about to come in. That may just be the extra bit of impetus this team needs, knowing that they are so unloved in Cameroon. Uh, that's all they that's need to do. That's why we have them playing in I, I one just... of the smallest towns in Bafusam. <laughs> so like, the fans can't even make it to the stadium. <laughs> that's why I have to come in really quickly before Alistair. I feel like we're stealing his thunder here. But... If you want to know what it feels like to have a rival win in your home country, let Algeria win in Egypt. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's probably something, you know, thankfully we don't, well, we don't talk about, but uh, yeah. Well, we all saw how empty the stadium were. Well, I think, I think that the rivalry has, has kind of uh, decreased in the last number of years. And I think, in all honesty, I think, you know, it, it, there was a lot of banter and rivalry, but I think similar to what you have with Senegal, I think that the Egyptian fans were were truly happy for, for Algeria when they won when they won it. But um, but yeah, I think you know, had, had Egypt had a good team, then it would have been a different story. All right, Alistair, you've waited patiently to to give us your tuppence around the bry. Come on in, son. Yeah, I mean. I think if you look at the teams in terms of quality, like Algeria and Senegal are just a cut above the rest, both in terms of players, but also, you know, the, the, the coaching staff, the setup, you know, I think those two are just un, without a doubt, the top two favorites. I, I think there's a whole host of really interesting ones beneath that. I mean, you look at the, you know, the, the super Eagles um, when you look at the I, I, Ivorian team, 
And they, you know, player for player, the unbelievable team. I mean, particularly look at the Nigerian attacking lineup. You know, you have Taiwo Awanyi, Victor Oziman, Kalachi Iannaccio, you know, Chukwezi, Emmanuel Dennis. You know, these are some of the highest performing attacking players in, you know, in world football at the moment. You know, the output is unbelievable. But of course, you know, and similar with, you know, Ivory Coast, you've got some incredible players um, kind of in, in Ivory Coast. I think they've got such a well-balanced team. Um, you know, all across, they've got excellent players, but both these teams have, you know, had their struggles off the pitch, um, you know, particularly Nigeria, just sacking Gurnet Roar right before the tournament. Um, but I think the two, the two teams that I'm really interested and in, really excited to see actually are, are um, Mali and Guinea, um, because I think these are two teams that have had a bit of trouble off the pitch and have had a bit of trouble putting together their teams, but actually have really, really talented teams. I mean, uh, and both in similar ways, I think they have two of the strongest midfields um, you know, on offer, you know, at Mali, you look at, you know, Amadou Haidara at, at Leipzig, Mohamed Kamara at, at, at Salzburg, they brought back Yves Basuma, you know, who's been superb for Brighton over the last couple of years. Um, and then they've got kind of Musa Gineppo and Ibrahima Kone, who most people won't know about playing, playing in Norway, but I think he was the, you know, joint second top goal scorer in World Cup qualifying. And I would caveat that with saying Slimani was the top scorer, but he scored five goals against Djibouti. Um, so if not for that, he would be the top goal scorer. And, and you know, similar in Guinea, you know, you, they've you, they just sacked Didier Six, their manager, um, because he wasn't kind of getting it right. But the players they have, you know, that midfield, Nabi Keita, Amadou, uh, Amadou Diarwara, Mohamed Madi Kamara, you know, even the new boy, uh, Elish Mariba uh, Kurumu, Kuruma, who's just kind of had a stellar season at Barcelona, you know, hasn't really kicked on at Leipzig, but, you know, this might be an excellent opportunity. So I think, you know, if I had to say two dark horses that, you know, might make a push for semifinals and even a final, I think I'm really interested to see see how it goes for Mali and Guinea, because I think both of them have the potential to really push, you know, Algeria and Senegal and these other teams. But, you know, they, they also have the potential to, to kind of fall flat like like they have in the last couple of editions. Um, so I think those would be the, the two to look out for. Love the pick on the dark horses there. Francis, did you want to come in really quickly? No, I was just going to say I like the last caveat from Alistair there. He played it very safe. He said they could be dark horses who could win it, or they could just <laughs> flat. <laughs> Love it. Got to cover my bases. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listen, guys, before we get to our AFCON quiz that's coming up, um, let's use this as opportunity to talk about your one player that you're excited to watch this tournament. For me, I think this is a tournament that will showcase the best of our goalkeepers. Edward Mendy, enough said, he's amazing. Um, performs week in, week out at Chelsea and is in that star-studded Senegal team. Um, and he will save them. Um, you know, he will, he, will, he will more than aptly fulfill his role. But the goalkeeper I'm most anticipating to watch is Cameroon's Andre Onana. Um, he had the drugs ban or the drugs violation. Um, his story's out there in the Players' Tribune. He talks very openly about um, having taken a pill that was meant for his wife that he thought was aspirin, um, had a 12-month ban from UEFA when he was at Ajax, uh, which was subsequently reduced to nine months on appeal at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, I think he's a quality player. Um, certainly looks like he's on his way out at Ajax and that he will land somewhere big in Europe next summer. Um, but somebody I know I will be watching closely. I'm, I'm certainly wanting to have a strong tournament. Um, I think players like him and Mandy change the narrative around what our goalkeepers can do. 
Um, and I'm just excited to watch him perform uh, for the host nation. And if I'm correct, Francis, he could likely lead the team at the tournament. Yes, um, he's a phenomenal goalkeeper. I think the country has always been blessed from the days of Thomas Nkono, Joseph Antoine Bell, Alain Bouca. We've always had really good goalkeepers as a nation. When we went to the last of a tournament before last, we had Ondoa, um, who's actually first cousins with Onana. I mean, blood first cousins. One family, two sisters who have two kids who are phenomenal goalkeepers. Um, and it's a beautiful story. Um, I think he's also a potential leader within the squad. Uh, the likes of Trooper Martin, uh, who carries the, the armband at present, isn't necessarily a starter, even though he's a Bayern Munich player. Um, is necessarily a starter with on the country sound. Um, so Onana may be the one who unpitch, uh, whereas uh, the, the, the armband to start of games. But it, I'm really excited by your idea around goalkeepers because I think it's a very important position um, in world football at present. And the narrative and the story around the role that the African can play as the last stopgap was actually quite um, clearly dealt with in an interview by uh, Joseph Antoine Bell at the time when he moved to Marseille, I believe it was. And it, it's a phenomenal story, which maybe hopefully we'll get the chance to go into one day and talking about the challenges we've had with African keepers being able to rise to the very top. Um, and it's interesting because Anana was one of the options for Chelsea uh, before Mendy uh, came along when the ban uh, became an issue with uh, Andre Onana. So, yes, I too am looking at the goalkeeping position. Um, it seems like it's, it's a tournament for goalkeepers. I think historically, you know, Africa's had had good goalkeepers, haven't been recognised internationally, but I think now it's great that so many goalkeepers are being you know, recognised internationally. And I think um, a lot of the countries now have top, top goalkeepers, um, Algeria as well, their goalkeeper Rice Mbouahili, he's you know excellent goalkeeper over the years for them. Egypt with El Shenawy, and I think I, I looked at the Senegal list of goalkeepers, and I think all three of their goalkeepers are you know starting goalkeepers in Europe, which is you know excellent to see that that's the level of you know, I think it's like Mendy, Gomez, and Dieng. So um, yeah, it's it's great to see that. Um, for my the one player who I'm kind of looking forward to see is Saeed Benarama um, at, at West Ham, who's um, obviously in the Algeria squad and. He's been excellent this season, um, five goals, and he's also been chipping on some of the assists. And I think West Ham have suffered a bit of dip in form, but prior to that, he's been excellent. So he's one player that I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to see, uh, see how he plays with, with Mahrez um, um, for Algeria. Thank you for that, Ahmed. Um, I'm just so excited for the tournament to start, firstly. And then, Zane, when you come with a question, like, who are you excited to see? Uh, honestly, I've got a confetti of players here. I, I, you know, because there's players out there that need to actually, they actually need this tournament, who need to do well because they're having difficulties in their club. A Bowie, uh, Obama Yang, guys that are really struggling. Wilfred Saar, who's not being great at the moment. So you just never know what's going to come. So I'm excited to see what happens with these players uh, in the coming tournament. Uh, but my player I'm really looking forward to watching is Sebastian Haller. Um, I... He was an outcast at West Ham, absolutely thrown on the scrap heap, given no chance, goes to Ajax, 
Yes, someone's going to say the Dutch league. Yes, it's a, it's not as strong as the English Premier League. But the guy is scoring goals out in Holland. Absolutely scoring goals. And I, that determination in his comments prior to the tournament just lets you know that he wants to get there. He wants to set it alight. He wants to do well. Um, I'm looking forward to him as a striker. Uh, maybe just repaying the fate of IXL, you know, who thought, you know, I still am a good striker. And then also just showing it to West Ham, you know, you'll let a very good player go. I almost wanted to, I, I laughed when, when Ahmed said he was, wanted to talk about Ben Rama because the, the guy who jumped to my mind when Zayn asked that was actually Yusuf Belali, who's kind of been Ben Rama's chief competitor for that position kind of on the wing opposite uh, Mares. You know, I think for me, watching the AFCON, there's so much joy in watching players who I wouldn't normally see who aren't on the kind of big European stage like, like Belali, um, who's had, you know, an excellent Arab Cup and has been superb for Algeria over the last few years. Um, but I think the the other one, if you know, I want to go for a, a more a, a smaller side is the guy I'm really excited to see is uh, Abu Bakr Nasser, who's um, this kind of star center forward for for Ethiopia. You know, he he had a superb season last season in um, in the Ethiopian Premier League. I think he scored like 29 goals in 23 matches, um, just an unbelievable record. Uh, really young, really exciting, and is you know, played really well for Ethiopia, um, you know, in the World Cup games, the qualifier games, they played against Zimbabwe and South Africa, he played excellently. And he's now, I'm sure Zane and Courtney will be aware, kind of being linked to, you know, Pirates, Chiefs, Sundowns, you know, all of the big clubs in, in South Africa and around Africa. So I think uh, if I had, to, <clears throat> if I had to choose one player, I think it would definitely be the Abu Bakr Nasser is, is the one to watch. Thank you so much for giving us your picks, your runners and riders, and just your perspective. Um, the podcast, we're running fast out of time, but it's a special show. It's our AFCON preview, and this would be incomplete if we didn't have an AFCON quiz. So in typical football fashion, we're going to give you five penalties, and we're going to see who's going to win this. So if I'm correct, Francis won the last quiz we had many moons ago. So have your pens and pads ready, um, or write it on your computer or your phone, your answers down, whichever you prefer. And we'll, we'll do it as an honesty call. I'll trust you guys to mark yourselves to give the scores. I'm not going to, you know, I don't think there's going to be any match fixing, so to speak. So the first question of our AFCON quiz is, who hosted the very first edition of the AFCON in 1957? I can give you a hint. It was not Cameroon. Okay, write your answer down. Second question. How many AFCON titles has Cameroon won overall? Egypt have won the most with seven. That's your clue. Third question. Egypt won three AFCON titles between 2006 and 2010. Who was the team that prevented them from winning a fourth in 2012? Or 2012, as some of you might say. Penalty number four. Who is the overall top goal scorer in AFCON history with 18 goals? It's multiple choice. A, Didier Drogba. B, Hossam Hassan. C, Samuel Eto'o. And your final question, as we look ahead to this wonderful celebration of football, where will the 2023 AFCON be hosted? Who will be the host nation for that? So there we go. There are your, there your questions. I will run through the answers and then you can give me your scores. So 
In terms of who hosted the first edition of the tournament in 1957, that was Sudan. Cameroon have won five AFCON titles. I can see Alistair got that wrong. He's, he's, um, his face gives it away. Um, Courtney and uh, Francis have turned their cameras off, which says to me that they, they don't know the answer, but we'll find out soon enough. Um, it was Zambia who won the 2012 edition of the AFCON um, with the great Kalusha Bolia as the president of the Federation. Um, the top goal scorer in AFCON history is none other than the indomitable lion, Samuel Eto'o. And the 2023 edition of the tournament will be hosted in the Ivory Coast. Ahmed, since I see you first, how many did you get out of five? I got three, but I thought I thought on the the, cam, the, the question three, I thought you said who beat Egypt in, in the in the final, but Egypt weren't in the 2012 final. No, so, no, they weren't. I, I guess when I said preventive, I meant who okay, won. right. And I was, so I thought it was the 2017. Uh, okay, final. go on. Get but I got three, I got three. <laughs> okay, we, we can give you three and a half. Because yeah, I'm, let's, that, yeah. let's go, let's, you got three and a half. Um, Alistair. Yeah, so I, I, I got four, but Francis will be, will be upset with me because I, I undersold Cameroon. Uh, I, I, said, <laughs> I said they'd only won three times, which uh, was, yeah, big mistake. <laughs> Courtney Freeze. Uh, I've given you, uh, while you were calling out the question, Zane, I honestly wrote them down in the chat. I got one. Who was the one I'm, that you, what was the one you got right? I got Cameroon. I've won it five times. Uh, I've always wanted to go to Cameroon, Francis. You never invite us. <laughs> I'm just saying now, is there any more indicator that you have to invite me? Of all the questions, I got that one right. <laughs> and tease you up perfectly, uh, uh, Francis. How many did you get out of five? I got four. I missed the first one with Sudan and I put Egypt down instead. Well, listen, guys, I just want to say very well done. We have a tie for the winner. It's Alistair and Francis. So well done, gentlemen. Well done, well done. Um, when we finally meet together, there'll be Nando's. It's been a while since we've had it. Although Alistair and I had some in November, so that was fun. Um, so hopefully we can there's, meet. There's Nando's on service on the 8th of January at the Olembe Stadium. Whoever makes it gets there. to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, this has been a fun podcast. Thank you for staying and being so generous with your time. Francis, Courtney, Alistair, Ahmed, always a pleasure to talk to you. We can't wait for the tournament to start. For all of you listening out there, get in touch with us on our social media accounts. Hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at OTW underscore podcast. Let us know who you think will be the play to watch this tournament. Let us know the team that you think will perform well. You can even couch it the way Alistair did to cover all his bases. And if you've come this far, leave a rating, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Ciao for now, guys. And I can't wait for the tournament to start. <laughs>